Welcome to episode 204 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we preview State of Origin 2 and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 204 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I am your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, it is a big weekend. It's, uh, it's We're breaking for the representative, what's it called? The representative round. Mm-hmm. There's uh, The NRL is, is taking a bit of a breather. Bit of a breather uh, while we uh, get geared up for State of Origin 2 and a bunch of other uh, representative games. Are you pumped? Are you ready for it? Yeah, look, uh, Dr. T, I am. Look, uh, hello to everybody out there. But, yeah, I am I am pumped to take a bit of a break in the NRL season. I actually kind of like this weekend where you have the Sunday State of Origin game. It's become, I think they've done it for the last three years. And uh, normally you'd be talking about other internationals like, Tonga v Samoa and some really interesting clashes, but for whatever reason they haven't decided to do that this year. But it's 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 a good break and uh, good to see all the NRL teams taking a break. Uh, my team Tigers they actually took a break a week early, um, <laughs> for uh, halfway through halfway through the game against the Storm, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the the halftime scoreline was forty nil, and um, <laughs> and and in the first ten minutes they were losing like eighteen nil and only touched the ball three times. So, yeah. So, but other other than other than uh, you know absolutely horrible uh, form, um, everything else is good. How about yourself, the Doctor T? The the Eels riding high, but uh, I've got to say, uh, not a lot of representation for Parramatta Eels players uh, in the state of origin teams. I'm a bit surprised uh, for a team doing so well. I think uh, I could only count Paulo as like the only only one in any of the squads. Uh yeah, it wasn't uh I think is Reed Marnie there as well. We'll talk I guess we'll talk about that later. Uh let me just have a I thought Reed Marnie was gonna be there, but maybe not. Um look yeah, I mean this is uh it's good for the Eels, isn't it? I mean like yeah. when, it's good for any team that, that can sneak through with minimal representation instead of origin, because we all know how how tough it is and how it can take a lot out of the players. Um, having said that, it doesn't seem to have caused the Melbourne Storm any problems over the years. Mm. They seem to have been well represented in both uh, both kind of squads. Um, but but yeah, look, I think the Eels, uh, from my perspective, yeah, they had a they had a good game. There's a, I think they they're kind of getting back into their groove. But let's let's not forget they did play the team that's coming last. So um, you know they uh, probably were entitled to feel that that was going to be a bit of an easy game, but. Uh, you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing. They they sort of, uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about that later. But um, look, I, I think I think it's uh, it's about time that we had a bit of a break in the NRL, to be honest. Mm. And I think it's come at the right time because some of the blowouts and some of the teams, I think, are, are on the back foot. They really do need a chance to recharge and yeah, and and 
and I guess, you know, take stock of what's happened. So I think it's it's kind of good that there is a tiny bit of a break that teams can actually get back to strategizing and thinking about what they're doing as opposed to just sort of going about their business and not really, you know, making changes that they need to make to adapt to the, the new fast-flowing style of game, which is... Um, as we'll talk about soon, it's impacting the state of origin arena as well, I think. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tish, shall we launch into our six tackles? I think let's get straight into it. Yeah. All right, here we go with tackle number one, the news update. All right, so we, we're going to start off with uh, some sad news. Uh Mike Bailey, who has been uh, for a long time an ABC weather presenter in Australia, unfortunately passed away on Sunday night, age 71, after he spent several weeks in a coma following a stroke. Um, Now, Mike Bailey, why are we talking about Mike Bailey? Well, a lot of people may not know, but he has been uh, an integral part of the Western Suburbs Magpies club and uh in back in its day and and then also in west tigers he became the chairman of the west tigers nrl club in 2011 uh and and, yeah chairman of the west ashfields leagues club um and so yeah west ashfield the current ceo simon cook made a statement saying that the news of mike's passing is devastating mike was a mentor a friend and a beautiful human being staff and I will miss his smiling face, his wisdom, loyalty, and his unwavering support. Our thoughts are with his wife, Helena, son, Michael, and his extended family at this heartbreaking time. So, um, yeah, absolutely uh, devastating. You know, like a local Sydney boy um, went went to school. I think he grew up in a Sefton area, I believe. So, you know, sort of um, right, right in the middle of the geographical heart of Sydney in a way. Um, and as I said, supporting uh, the Magpies and obviously being very involved in in the Tigers as well, uh, in the West Tigers uh, in his current form. Um, a lot of people, I don't know, if, for those of you out there who are Australian and and uh, sort of, I, don't know, I would say a, at least probably 40 or so years old, you might remember there was a show called Romper Room. Uh, a lot of people didn't know, but um, Mike Bailey actually married one of the presenters. Miss Helena was one of the presenters in Romper Room, which is like a, I think, I guess you could say it's an equivalent of like a play school or a Sesame Street kind wow. of a kids show in Australia. And, and yeah, he, uh, so yeah, just a little bit of uh, trivia there. Um, so look, our thoughts and prayers do go out to Helena and his son, Michael, and all of his extended family and friends. Um, and everyone at the West Tigers uh, who uh, who knew him and uh, who valued his contribution uh, to to the sport and to the club. Um, so yeah, collectively, I, I would say let's um, let's send our our thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, just a devastating thing to have occurred. You know, when when someone gets a stroke and um, you know, your life changes instantly. And, and obviously he wasn't able to recover, unfortunately, after having one a few weeks ago. So uh, absolutely devastating news. So, um, yeah, we, I thought we'd, we'd start off with a, 
a bit of a, a tribute there to to Mike Bailey. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, a lot of people will remember him in Australia as the ABC weatherman, and and all, yeah. I would say the quintessential, you know, weatherman. Uh, when you think of someone who just you could rely on to um, explain to you in simple language what's going on in the weather world. Um, he was the man to do it. He was just really so professional, quintessential professional. Um, and yeah, absolutely devastating. Tish, as a Tigers fan, uh, yeah, um, I'm sure you kind of echo my sentiments as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, uh, sad, uh, to, to hear about the passing of anybody. Um, uh, and, you know, Mike Bailey, um, you know, it's kind of one of those people where uh, probably a lot of people would recognise, like, uh, like the face or the photo, but, you know, because he's on your TV sort of every day, he's very familiar sort of thing, and you, you kind of forget exactly who's who at times. But, look, you know, obviously having a, a behind-the-scenes role um, in, in in rugby league and, um, you know, uh, it's not easy, the life of uh, working uh, behind the scenes for clubs isn't 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 easy, and a lot of people that are on the boards and playing chairmans and sort of these type of roles, you got to remember a lot of this stuff goes. Uh, it's very volunteer. Uh, like a lot of it is is being unpaid. Like uh, so, so you know, it's it's you go in uh, with rugby league with passion, and um, you know he served uh, everybody. Live, uh, you know he served rugby league well, and he served you know on the ABC very well. And yeah, look, obviously our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and. And um, uh, yeah, in this in this uh, sad time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, the next bit of news is about uh, Benny Iken. So uh, this is uh, I can do it. The Broncos are going to bring in Benny Iken to help out. Uh, so former Premiership winning 5'8", Ben Iken has been appointed Broncos head of football as part of sweeping changes at the club in the wake of their second successive struggling season. He's going to uh, replace the recruitment chief, Peter Nolan, uh, who was told by Brisbane last week his services will no longer be required. And Iken will play, uh, well, Iken did play, sorry, alongside current coach Kevin Walters in the halves when Brisbane won the 2000 grand final. So he's no stranger to success. Tish, is he, do you believe, the right man for the job to turn the Broncos around? Well, look, um, Ben Iken, he is, uh, well, he's very. Uh, Notable in, in rugby league circles, I'd say. Obviously, everybody knows him from Fox um, Sports. Uh, you know, he's got the NRL 360 show, uh, which at times, um, you know, sort of has a lot of opinions. Um, and Ben Iken certainly has a lot of opinions. And, um, you know, a lot of it's actually quite, um, you know, a lot of it is quite valid, I've got to say. It's just, uh, you know, sometimes the manner in which he says it is kind of a bit crazy. But there you go. But look, I think he's a good football brain. Um, I believe he's got some sort of business background as well. Um, like he's been working uh, sort of, you know, in the business fraternity out there in Brisbane. I think he's done a couple of things there. Um, I believe he actually applied for the role of CEO a few, um, you know, in the last go around, but then, uh, you know, that the board dis- didn't decide to go with him and decided to go with another person. But he's in the fold now, so I think that might... Um, yeah, look, I think it's going to be good because obviously he is a, a Brisbane guy. He he's got some ideas, he's got some plans, and I think I think Brisbane sort of need it. So um, it would be interesting how how this all will unfold. But um, you know, obviously, uh, let's see how they go because obviously the Broncos over the last two years, everybody has um, you know they've had lots of um, 
yeah, uh, they've had lots of uh, sort of, uh, you know, changes. They've had two coaches now and, you know, they've had very poor success. So uh, obviously Wayne Bennett leaving a few years ago as well now. Um, and I think uh, Ben Eichen could be married to Wayne Bennett's daughter. Perhaps? That's I think that's correct, yeah. That's yeah, right. so, so that's quite Which is going to be really awkward if Wayne Bennett goes into the new – you know what? What is he? Is where is when Wayne Bennett going next year? Is he going to the new Brisbane club? Is he going to the? What's happening? Do we know? We we don't know where Wayne Bennett is. Wayne Bennett is uh is actually doing a Cameron Smith, a will he won't he? We uh, don't know. Yeah, I'm seeing. Um, what 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 I have heard is that um so Brisbane want Wayne Bennett to come in and oversee. Kevin Walters, like head of football operations. But oh, Wayne right, Bennett yeah. doesn't want that. He wants to coach. He doesn't like the behind the scenes, right? So apparently so, well, that's... That, uh, Icon is there now. <laughs> so there no, you go. There you go. Icon <laughs> is there. So, so, so there you go. So I, I think, I think part of Icon's duties would be like, uh, you know, he has to, uh, he has to drive Wayne to the ground. Um, you know, so you got to, <laughs> that's part of his job role. Like, you know, they've given him an extra big desk with an extra seat with, uh, with a plaque that says Wayne on it. It's just like, well, just pick him up on the way here and let him hang out for with us for the day. I don't know. I don't so know. He's, what... he's, he's head of, uh, Broncos Uber. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not too sure if that's the tactic. Like, you know, we get, we get the family member in and then, you know, we appoint the daughter to do something, and then we appoint the wife to do something, and then they all sort of. <laughs> oh god! I, I, I don't know what they're doing, but look, obviously Brisbane need to make changes, and um, you know, a lot of these changes do come, you know, that they have to start a lot of them in the administration at times. Um, so particularly now, like Brisbane's a bit of a West Tigers now, um, you know, uh, Reese Walsh and uh, Sam, mm. like all the sensational players that are debuting this year went through the Brisbane system, it feels like. So, um, and they're not happy with the players that they actually kept. So th- there is some changes the organisation needs to make in terms of which players to keep and which players to leave. And uh, and I think that's, uh, yeah, I think it probably needs to uh, be highlighted. But um, yeah, let's see how this one, this one sort of uh, unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. Last news item, Tish, uh, what's happening in the international world? We've got... Interesting story lined up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, like if you go onto the RLW twenty twenty one, something like that. Look up Rugby League World Cup twenty twenty one. Google it. You'll see all the teams. One of the teams that is a new team to the World Cup of Rugby League this year is Jamaica. Uh, Doctor T, do you believe that Jamaica has a rugby league team? Uh, I believe it if they believe it. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. So look, look. It's called. Uh, I think it's called the uh, Reggae Warriors. Is actually the name of the team, um, which which is crazy. So, so. But look, you know. So, so obviously, you know. Um, you know, some of these minor nations, they, you know, it, you do try and look for some familiar faces um, in those lineups. But obviously, with Jamaica, it's their first entry, and they won't have too many NRL stars. That's what I thought anyway. But some really positive news in that uh, a 19-year-old Dom Young uh, from the Newcastle Knights is set to play for Jamaica at the end of the season for the World Cup in England. So, you know, the 19-year-old will be the first NRL-based player to represent Jamaica. And Montius, who is uh, the surname of the coach, told NRL.com he has uh, been helping to raise the profile of the game in the Caribbean nations, in the Caribbean nation, while 
inspiring other young players to want to represent Jamaica. So Montier said that young moved from Huddersfield to Newcastle. So I believe he played in the English Super League last year for Huddersfield and now is on a three-year deal with the Newcastle Knights and has had three appearances in the NRL, uh, most recent of which was against the Warriors this weekend. And, um, yeah, uh, obviously Jamaica is very, very uh, happy to see uh, this young player actually represent uh, Jamaica. And a bit of an interesting news, so... He was sort of thinking, should I, shouldn't I? And he was actually convinced by former Wigan winger and, um, you know, kind of rugby league superstar in England, Jason Robinson. So Jason Robinson of Jamaican descent actually is the one that helped uh, helped Dom Young um, decide to, to play for Jamaica. So well done to Dom. I've got to say, Dr. T, when, when I had a look at Dom's photo and uh, he had the dreads, uh, <laughs> he's got the dreadlocks going. Um, I was thinking, did they, did they just, because he had dreadlocks, is that how they figured out he was Jamaican? Is that, is that how, <laughs> it's like, uh, is that the way they're uh, selecting the, the Jamaican players? But, um, but yeah, do you I would, think. I would hope not. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you think Jamaican, how do you, how do you think they'll go in the World Cup? Uh, look, it's hard to tell because it just. I, I don't look. I don't really know. I think I I would have low expectations for them. I don't think mm. that they would. Um, it it also depends, I guess, on the the group that they're in and and yeah. you know um, who they're up against. But really, it's hard to tell because I don't actually know what kind of uh, depth that they have in terms mm. of players from Jamaica. So because um, I know from some of the other countries, we've got people who are playing in the NRL or the lower grades here in Australia who represent their heritage nation. And so you've already got them people who are match-hardened in mm. kind of a semi-professional environment or a professional environment. So I have no idea. It all depends on how many players they have connected to a professional league and or NRL. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think if they could get enough um, sort of English-based and Australian-based um, plays even if they haven't played NRL, but enough that they could sort of, um, you know, last the eighty minutes on the field and do enough tackling. I'm just thinking with um, obviously you see in the Olympic Games the Jamaican sprinters, um, you know, and and the incredible natural pace that a lot of the play, you know, a lot of the natural mm. talent in, in Jamaica have. I just wonder if um, all they really, you know, if you like, yeah, the wingers. I wonder what. I wonder how fast they run the 100 metres, um, you know, so some of the outside backs. So just as long as they could hold enough or hold their own in in, in defence, um, I think it could be one of these very exciting teams to watch in attack. And uh, similar to, like, the likes of, say, the PNG or, or Fiji or, you know, some of these other nations where, you know, you sort of see them in other sports excel, um, you know, at speed and, you know that's what makes a really good NRL plays these days. Like you know, there's there's really no, um, yeah, there's no countering, uh, you know, foot foot speed, um, but obviously you also need to have that play that could put them into space. So, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe maybe we could get a uh, maybe we could get like uh, Luke Brooks to uh, to uh, you know get some dreads and uh, represent Jamaica as well or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to tackle number two, our last round review. Here we go. All 
All right, our last round before the representative round break is round 15. We had some very interesting games, a lot of blowouts. <laughs> so let's just go through them all. Um, the Rabbitohs, 46-0 over the Broncos. Unbelievable. Two of the, the two biggest teams in terms of, uh, you know, NRL teams in Australia, in terms of number of members and money and all that sort of stuff. And uh, 46-0 away. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharks, 26 over the Cowboys, 24 in a, a tight one. Panthers, 38-12 to 12 over the Roosters. So the team that's coming, I think, fifth at the moment, um, absolutely smacked by the team that's coming second. So there you go. Uh, the Knights, 10-6, a tight one over the Warriors. The Dragons, 22-20 over the Canberra Raiders. Bit of an upset there. Um, the Storm, 66-16 against the Tigers, unfortunately. The Eels, 36-10 against the Bulldogs. And finally, the Manly Warringah Seagulls, 56-24 against the Titans. And Tish, uh, um, like I usually ask, what was your... Highlight of the round, and or I guess what is the, you know, what match do you want to talk about? But before you do that, um, I want to point out that the Manly Titans game was a particularly interesting one. I don't know if you saw it, but it was one of completely swinging a tale of two halves. Yeah. Put it that way, because really it was. And a dominant performance in the first half by the Titans. They raced out to, oh look, I don't know if it was a straightaway 24 to whatever it was. I think it was 24-6 or 24-8, something like that. Something like that. And and you thought, well, the Titans have got it this time. And then something happened in the second half. And all of a sudden, Trebojevic, Tommy Turbo, kicked into gear, uh, put the afterburners on. And I think he scored another three tries and... Everyone else just sort of clicked, and all of a sudden, it was a completely dominant performance by Manly uh, to get to, you know, they almost got to 60 points, put it that way. Given that they were behind by so much, a very, very high-scoring game, unbelievable game. I think, look, despite the fact I'm tempted to talk about the Eels, my Eels performance, something about this Titans-Manly game uh it, it equally uh, astounded me but uh, disgusted me at the same time that we could have such wildly varying uh, fortunes within the single match. Um, if anything, it does sort of show showcase the power of momentum and, and how much that's important in the current day and age in terms of the current rules. Um, it may have even been an argument against some of the rule changes, mm. <laughs> put it that way. Because uh, it's not the kind that's not the kind of free flowing football you want to see. You don't want to see if you want to see back and forth. You don't want to see one team dominate for a long period and then another team dominate for another long period. There's something not quite right about that. Um, it just doesn't feel right. So that was my takeaway from that round. Uh, that particular game, uh, I think, was a uh, a bit of a litmus test of uh, of the rule, the new rules. So, anyway, what about you, Tish? What did you think about any of the other games? Well, look, um, yeah, I think we talked about it last week, and Roy Masters wrote, wrote about it last week too. You know that just how important momentum is, and then once you have, once one team has momentum, the other team, it's it's actually too difficult to actually get the uh, to actually get even get your hands on the ball. Um, so uh, you know, it basically, essentially. 
you know, there's, you know, 11 different ways to keep the ball and there's only seven different ways to get the ball back. So it's just, it's just way too lopsided the way, the way the rules are playing at the moment. But look, obviously watching those young Panthers um, also coming back after losing two games and then having their stars back and just how dominant they were at home. And um, it felt like all of Penrith were actually there as well. Uh, you know, kind of a, a great crowd. It's they're doing fantastic things in uh, Penrith, and I think um, I think there's actually news that um, the state government is going to build a new stadium um, at Penrith um, that could actually even start as early as next year um, to actually increase the capi- capacity to a. Um, I think it's going to be a thirty thousand seat seater, so very similar to Bank West. So that's exciting news happening wow, there. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Um, but probably the main thing I want to highlight after all those highlights is uh, obviously, you know, the two games that were over 80, uh, 80 points scored in the game. Um, so more <laughs> than, yeah. But I want to highlight St. George Illawarra versus Canberra for one reason and one reason only, the 18th man. So I don't know if you heard about this, Dr. T, but, um, you know, the NRL, uh, you know, the NRL's new 18th man rule caught Canberra out uh, over the weekend when um, Sebastian Chris was concussed due to high contact in the first half and uh, was ruled out of the game. So Canberra actually put on Xavier Savage, a 19-year-old man, as the 18th man replacement. But 11 minutes later, later, you know, Canberra officials had to run on the field and get him off the field because um, they had incorrectly, uh, you know, uh, the 18th man was not supposed to uh, be activated. Oh wow! <laughs> right, so, Jeez. so um, yeah. This, is this a professional sport? Like, uh, you know, this is quite, <laughs> it's, this is, yeah. So the rule states that the, the the player has to be out due to foul play, um, where a player is sent off to the bin. So there was a penalty. But it was put on report, but but the fact that um, I think the player that was tackled, Jack, uh, yeah, Jack Bird didn't did not go. If he he wasn't sent to the sin bin, so therefore they couldn't they couldn't enact the 18th man. So um, I don't know. Maybe Cameron check with an official, like you know, like before you do something like that. But it's uh, they're having a crazy season, and uh, look another loss as well for them. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, so so yeah, so um, for some teams things are getting bad, and for other teams things are getting good. So the woes of the NRL, soccer team. Yeah, look, why don't they just take the thinking away from the clubs at this point and just sort of say, you know, do do we need a bit of do we need uh, clubs to be given a a signal mm. of when they can activate a certain type of replacement or something like it's it's just getting a bit ridiculous. I mean, it's we've got to get this away from the hands of the clubs and just have NRL officials that monitor the game what mm. teams can and cannot do. It's as simple as that. I mean, most other sports do this, you know, in basketball, you know, you don't you don't get to choose how many timeouts you've got. You you know exactly, you know, the the, the NBA officials know exactly what to do and they'll tell you uh, what you, you're allowed to do. So yeah. it's that kind of thing. We just need to get it, all this stuff away from the hands of, of the clubs and, you know, it also – cascading to the field as well you know the yeah. the trainers that just run on and then you know provide sort of coaching on field coaching like Ali Lang- Langer that kind of thing uh, that kind of stuff is going to have to be uh, shut down at some point because it's just getting 
really ridiculous how the clubs are exploiting the rules. But in this case, it was just a mistake, I think. And and you're right. I mean, you know, we're professional sport. We're sure it's a billion dollar sport. We surely should be able to kind of come up with a better way to handle this, especially mm-hmm. when it's a kind of a new rule change that's just been brought in mid-season. So yeah, oh. yeah, um, NRL, get your get your uh, pull your finger out. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And look, the other thing you can also do is um, actually put a locked room in the actual stadium, and um, the key only gets activated. You can only like you know the, the door can only open. And reveal the 18th man once the rule has been activated. You know, like maybe, maybe, maybe that's the like you know the unlock actually becomes an unlock. You know, or a put him in a cage or something like that. If that's the case, <laughs> put, him, put him in a cage and it, yeah, <laughs> roll them out into the into the the dugout in in the sideline and wait. Yeah, when it gets activated, it flings open and exactly. then away you go. Look, reality TV does not have an issue with intruders. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they know how to do it, you know, like, you know, the players coming back or, you know, chefs coming back or whatever, like, you know, I think they just need to make, make it dramatic like that, you know, where it's like, you know, and now, like, you know, maybe under a cloche, uh, they've got to be under a cloche and uh, big Matt Preston can actually, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, go and it's time to reveal the 18th man, it's Betty Elias, and then, uh, you know... <laughs> I th- I, look, I think you're onto something with this reality thing. Uh, I think maybe the reality TV thing. I mean, look, maybe maybe they do need to be called instead of calling them replacement and HIA, whatever, whatever. Call them intruders. Intruders, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's the thing. Get the get the survivor people or whatever it is, the Big Brother people into this and and uh, you know announce them that way. Make them yeah. walk down this uh, fancy coloured kind of wooden plank mm. uh, and then with shining lights and fans all around them. Yeah. yeah. You know, but do a bit of fanfare. Make them come out from inside the dressing room and have people just sort of high-fiving them on the way in. Congratulations, you're an intruder. Yeah. You know, where you go. Well, actually, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Well, actually, what I'm thinking now is that uh, we should have a giant wheel of fortune, at, at, you know, uh, on the sideline. So when the 18th man is activated, you know, the coach can actually spin it and, <laughs> you know, whoever it lands on. And we could even have, like, you know, uh, people from the audience, you know, like, come on down, you know. Wow, like, like randoms, randoms. <laughs> randoms coming down. Or you could have, uh, you know, like uh, it could be the blast on the past, you know, Tim Brasher or something like that, you know. Um, off well, the back. I, I want to see Benny Elias again. <laughs> yeah. Bring him back in. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think. In fact, the 18th man is an opportunity that is being missed, I think, uh, Dr. T. So, so, so let's make it happen. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. If anyone just ca- catch in the podcast just now, we are not drunk. Uh, <laughs> we've, these are our genuine ideas. Uh, anyway, all right. let's move on to our State of Origin previews. So tackle number three, we are going to tackle the New South Wales team for State of Origin 2. Here we go. So, as as expected, the team list for the New South Wales team has not changed all that much, um, but there has been a forced change due to injury. So, Jake Trebojevic is out uh, due to injury, and in comes Angus Crichton, who actually 
I think was going to be named in in game one, but uh, I think he was suspended or possibly that's why he missed out. Campbell Graham is in and Dale Finucane. So the team is as follows. Um, Tedesco captain, Brian To'o, uh, Latrell Mitchell, Tommy Trebojevic, Josh Adokar, Jerome Luai, Nathan Cleary, and in the forwards, Daniel Sofidi, Damien Cook, Junior Paulo, Cameron Murray, Tariq Sims, Isaiah Yo. And on the bench, we've got Whiten, uh, Jack Whiten, Angus Crichton, Payne Haas, Liam Martin, AP Coruscant, Campbell Graham, and Dale Finucane. So it's a 20-man squad at the moment. Uh, sticking with New South Wales, Tish, what do you think about this squad? Uh, we've lost a bit with Jake Trevojevic, but we've. Uh, I guess the question is, do we... Uh, do we have a bit more firepower? Uh, do, is this an improvement on game on game one? Uh, look, I don't, um, I don't think so. I feel like it's relatively the same team. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there is only that one change, but um, I feel like either they've added an extra player or or somebody else might have missed out that, but that probably uh, should be there. I'm having a look here. Camari's still there, so that was. That's pretty good, yeah. Um, maybe well, they've they've added two two new players to the. It's an extended squad, and then I think they'll squad, whittle, yeah, I think they'll whittle it down to eighteen, yeah, and then keep it to seventeen. On so last time we had Coruscant didn't actually make the squad. He wasn't actually on the bench. He was the eighteenth okay. man. So um, that's the difference this time. But yeah, yeah. We, by losing uh, by losing Trebojevic, Jake Trebojevic, uh, I think he's been replaced by. Uh, Crichton, I believe, on the actual bench. Yep. Um, and then the other two additions are Campbell Graham and Dale Finucan at towards the end and Coruscant. Okay, um, okay. But the rest is pretty much the same. Yes, I agree. I just, I guess, I was asking with Trebojevic not there, and and Angus Crichton coming in. Uh, uh, what's the difference? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there is a whole lot difference. I don't. Uh, I actually feel like a Finucan. I think we should try for Nukin over Crichton at the moment because I think uh, just Dale Finucane, the way he plays, is, is very reliable. I think even Bellamy said that, um, uh, you know, out of all the plays he's ever coached, um, the first player he'd ever pick is Dale Finucane. So that's a pretty high praise for, um, wow, you know, for, for, for a player. So um, I think he I think he could be, um, you know, a, a starter. Although, you know, Crichton's got the experience. He's done it before. He's been part of winning squads and everything like this. So, look, I think, um, you know, I think whichever way they'll go, um, it's it's always going to be a strong lineup. Um, there is a lot of interesting things uh, talking about New South Wales. Obviously, the way we dominated in the first game. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about the same squad. And they're talking about, obviously... Uh, you know, Nathan Cleary and Tom Trebojevic being the uh, the best players in rugby league at the moment, and uh, particularly Tom Trebojevic after uh, everything that happened with the Titans and all the other games, um, and the fact that he's actually playing out of position. So, and then uh, this kind of happened with Andrew Johns, where even though Andrew everybody called Andrew Johns the best player in rugby league, he was playing a lot of Origins at um, you know at dummy half. While uh, you know, while Jeff Tuvey was playing halfback, now you've got a situation where Tom Trebojevic, everybody's calling him the best in the world type thing, but he's not actually playing his preferred or club position in fullback, and that's Tedesco. And I wonder, 
I wonder if there's something to that as well a little bit, whether eventually Tom might outs the Tedesco for fullback. Uh, that could be quite interesting how that's going to play out. But I think everybody kind of forgot what actually happened in game one as well, a little bit. Because, look, Tom Trebojevic, he was he was absolutely sensational. And he was, uh, he was playing fantastic out there, right? But I think a lot of the... The reason why um, you know he was so dominant is because it was Jerome and Nathan and um, and Latrell and Tedesco, all of them playing the same side of the field, um, and then obviously you know sometimes playing on Adokar's side, other times playing on Brian Toho's side. So it was actually like a collective of outside backs, mm. um, yep. you know, and you know to the point where you know all the Queensland defence has to play passive because they don't know uh, which one of these uh, people are going to grab the ball and what they're going to do. Um, so I don't I, look, I don't think as much as uh, Tom kind of saw the fruit of that and he did play well and set up some fantastic tries for others around him, you know, he was also part of a back line that was also, you know, I think Latrell Meshaw had a, had a really phenomenal game too. Um you know, probably the mm. best in a while that he's had for New South Wales. So, so I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to come down to one player again with New South. I think, I think it's going to come down to how they all play together, and um, that's going to be very important. And um, yeah, so I just, ha- I just hope that New South Wales don't um, don't go away from that a little bit because I think that uh, just the way the media is talking, it feels, it feels like everybody kind of l- l- forgot how New South Wales won last last. Uh, yeah, last time around. What about your thoughts, Dr. T? Uh, yeah, look, I look, I haven't really heard the chatter that suggests that they've forgotten. I think, you know, there's still there's still this really high expectations on New South Wales. I think I think the thing that's going on here is that there's this uh, this tendency to think that Suncorp Stadium is is such a cauldron for uh, for Queensland um that that it's it's like it's almost impossible you know even even the team of the the quality and caliber of new south wales and the way they played last time is going to uh struggle or you know be affected by the suncorp stadium you know the the vibe and the the prestige and the the be daunted by the occasion um <clears throat> i look I, which i don't think is necessarily the case because um, you know, although there's going to be lots of fans in there, it's going to be a full house. Um, I don't think Suncorp Stadium is as daunting as, uh, I guess, Lane Park was historically uh, in terms of, you know, there's everything around the Brisbane experience, I think, that is is what could bring New South Wales undone, which is, you know, the, the hostility of... Uh, <clears throat> when the uh, the players go down Caxton Avenue or whatever it is, and 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 get get in a bus, and people that that will bother them at their hotel and and make sure they don't get an, an ounce of sleep the night before, all that kind of stuff. That the shenanigans that go on when World Cups are on and all that kind of thing. Um, when when teams are travelling. Uh, you know, and and there may be a bit of that, but at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. They've done it before. Some of these have played, you know, these players, most of these players would have played Queensland, you know, in the last several years. 
So they're more than aware of what it takes to win and what the dangers are in terms of losing in state of origin. I just kind of think that that the performance in game one was no fluke. I think a lot of it really, I think you just sort of nailed it there. It's not just about, yes, forwards win. You know, you've got to have good forwards. Forwards have to go forwards. Otherwise, the backs can't do what they do. Um, you know, in this day and age with momentum, you need that kind of go forward. And so they certainly played their part. So that is a necessary part of what, what New South Wales need in game two. But I think the, the, the difference from what we saw, and I don't think I've really seen a backline, a New South Wales backline with as much firepower and form going into a state of origin as what we, we are witnessing in the, in this next week. Um, you know, we've had good backlines in the past. We've had the likes of Jared Hayne and, you know, uh, Minicello, etc. But if you look at this team <clears throat> and the backline in particular, a lot of these players are literally being called the best player in the world in their position mm. um, or, or have such incredible X factor. We talk about the X factor. You know, Tedesco, I mean, come on. Like, yes, he may be a bit down in form this year compared to normal um, and so are the Roosters, but we're still talking about a player who's, a, a you know, a player of the year, Dalian medalist, that kind of thing, who's yeah. still who's still capable of anything. And in fact, he had a blinder last game as well. It's not like he just had a, he just didn't have as much of a blinder as some of the others. Brian Tor, first game. Okay. I'll grant you that there's still a question mark. You're only one game into your origin career. Fair enough. Latrell Mitchell. We've seen what he can do at this level. We've seen what he can do at every level. He's capable of when, when he's on song, he will bring it. And he brought it last time. And he was so scintillating when he needed to be. Tommy Turbo, obviously, we're going to, you know, everyone talks about he's probably in terms of form, he's probably the best player in the game at the moment. Um, and the Manly Titans game is an example of that. You know, when when he decides to turn it on, uh, things happen for your team. Uh, and then you look at Josh Adokar, probably the fastest winger in the game at the moment. Um, you know, slouch in defense either. Sometimes he has a tendency to rush up, but generally he's so fast that he can just catch up and turn around and he'll still catch you. So Josh Adokar, absolutely gun player, dangerous as. Um, Nathan Cleary, you know, this year he has blossomed into a real leader in his team. And uh, there's a reason why I'm picking Jerome Luai last at number six, because I think he, like I said last time in my review of game one, I believe he was the reason that that the the entire New South Wales backline got it all together and got it right. Uh, without him, uh, you know, being able to slip through the defence, uh, cause a bit more of, you know, uh, the the Queenslanders to think twice about what they were going to do. You wouldn't have seen as many holes break open for Tuboyevich or Mitchell or even Tedesco. And I think, um, you know, I think Queenslanders would be well served to go for Luai in this game and and shut him down. Um, but even then, I would hazard to say that even if you shut down Luai, I'm sure with Tommy and James Tedesco on the side there playing the role of the roaming centre 
looking for a sniff of a hole of a of a ball into a hole and and a and a through ball or a grubber kick or whatever, um, you know, there's still a chance that New South Wales has too much firepower. But in my view, yeah, Luai is the key here. If he's on song again, and everything points to the fact that he's still He's still got it. Um, he's still confident when he went back to play for the Panthers. So, yeah, look, my summary is I think uh, you're reiterating what you said. I think all of the backs pretty much had a blinder last game and it primarily boils down to the six and seven. And I'm I'm actually thinking that, yeah, they'll do it again. Uh, this time around, they're not going to be daunted by, by Suncorp. Maybe initially they might be. Might be a bit of uh, rough stuff happening and... Uh, but eventually the game will be opened up and that's when new, the New South Wales Blues will be uh, able to shine. So that's my view. Uh, do you want to have a last say before we move on to Queensland? Uh, yeah, well, why don't we talk about Queensland and we can sort of continue on how we think this game is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so here we go. Tackle number four. We're going to talk about the Queensland team. All right. Right, the Maroons team has been announced. Uh, it's a 19-man squad. As expected, they have had uh, quite a few more changes uh, for different reasons. So <clears throat> um, who is out? Alexander Brimson, Harry Grant, Jaden Sewer, Joe Offengawi, Xavier Coates. And in, we have Andrew McCulloch, Cohen Hess, Francis Mollo, Josh Babali, Reese Walsh, and Ronaldo Mulitalo. And the squad looks like this um, for the time being. Number one, uh, Reese Walsh from the Warriors, Valentine Holmes, Kurt Capel, Dane Gagai, Kyle Felt, Cameron Munster, and Daly Cherry Evans, uh, who is a captain. And in the forwards, Christian Welch, Andrew McCulloch, Josh Papali, uh, Jay Arrow, uh, sorry, Jai Arrow, Felice Kafusi, uh, Tino uh, from the Titans. I'm not going to bother saying his name. <laughs> Tino. Big Tino, uh, Ben Hunt uh, for the Dragons, Moaki Fatuika uh, from the Titans, David Fafida, Francis Moloko and Hess, Ronaldo Mulitalo. Um, look, a pretty good lineup, uh, and I am not one to write off Queensland by any means. They have uh, potentially an even stronger lineup waiting for them, but you know, players like Kalen Ponga isn't there. Um, and uh, who else? Someone else that's missing. But but look, they've got the, the key ingredients is McCulloch, Munster, Cherry Evans. Um, Valentine Holmes is also dangerous, although they're going to put him on the wing, I think. So, and Gay Guy is there. So the usual suspects are there. Papa Lee coming back in is going to be a, a big uh, plus. Um, I think they probably missed some of his go forward. But then again, he hasn't been setting the world on fire at the Raiders this year either. So... I don't know how much of uh, of an inclusion is going to be. For me, the key thing is Ben Hunt. What they do with Ben Hunt, I think he's the reason why the Dragons, you know, when the Dragons have gone well this year, it's because of Ben Hunt. And when they haven't, it's because of Ben Hunt. Um, and, and Ben Hunt not having the support of uh, some of his other players around him, like uh, Corey Norman, etc. So I wonder whether it's now Ben Hunt's time to shine in state of origin, and I know he's had a bit of a rough time in the past, but in my view, I think he's the, the key to igniting Cherry Evans and Munster in this game. So what are your thoughts, Tish? 
Yeah, well, look, um, I know a lot of people have been talking about the uh, inclusion of, you know, seven games into his career, Reese Walsh at 18 years of age. Um, but clearly, look, you know, with AJ Brinson out, with Ponger out, uh, they were struggling for outside backs. And um, the news is that he will play fullback and Valentine Holmes play on the wing, um, which, I, look, uh, I know I understand uh, how good of a, a, of a winger Valentine Holmes is, but I don't think he's that bad of a fullback either. Like, so I'm a bit surprised about that. And there's, there's a lot of talk around that. But I think, but I think where New South Wales have to be careful is that, you know, early in game one, um, you know, uh, Queensland lost Christian Welsh, uh, one front roller, and uh, they didn't even have Papali uh, in the last, in the last state of origin. But they've got both of them back for this game, and they're more than likely going to play the, you know, more minutes than. Well, I, I think Christian Welsh is definitely going to play more minutes than what he did before. Um, so with that go forward, suddenly the forwards battle becomes a lot more tighter uh, than what it was in game one because obviously they're not missing some of their key ingredients. And then overall, obviously they've made more changes, but then if you actually look at a lot of the names, they've actually probably had a bit more seasoning and a bit more experience than what the Queen, than what the New South Wales team has. Um, you know, particularly when you got got the likes of Gagai and Holmes and you know Munster and Ch- yeah, so. Experience-wise, they're actually quite uh, quite on par, and I think um, you know the, the the criticism that you could say with New South Wales is is actually the criticism that everybody has on Reese Walsh. He's too young. Um, you could say that about the New South Wales backline as well, right? Um, they they they're younger players, and what happens with younger players is sometimes um, you know they've got some unbelievable talent, but then the the occasion. Um, or, you know, uh, something in the event triggers their emotions to go crazy, right? And, uh, you know, brain explosions and getting too angry or getting wild up or, you know, you know, there's like an incident that happens in the game that sort of causes them to sort of um, move away from their sort of, you know, quiet confidence, which a lot of young players seem to have, Um you know that, that that little thing, and I think that New South, uh, I think Queensland have actually picked a team that can upset uh, New South Wales emotionally. If I could say that, like just get them, uh, get them, uh, you know, sort of not in the right frame of mind when they're trying to execute. And um, if Queensland can do that, then then they're in with a shot, and they're in with a really good shot. And I think this is where New South Wales has to be real, real careful. Like um, it's it's how they handle the equation. Um, you know, I'm not too concerned. You know, if you're like a lot of people from Queensland, are, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Reese Walsh, how are they going to go with him?" You know, he's so young into his NRL career. I think, I think typically you've seen um, players for Queensland being able to step step up to the occasion. They've just got a way of doing it in Queensland, where you know players on debut seem to to always perform well, and I think I think he's going to do the same. Uh, so, yeah. So look. It is a stronger lineup than what they had last, uh, you know, last last game. Um, I do think their attacking weakness or the weakness in the defense is going to come down to their centers because it is. Uh, I don't. I don't know if Gagai plays center week in week out, but Kurt Kurt Capewell does not. So I'm still still a little puzzled why they they haven't gone for somebody that is a bit more specialist in that particular position. Um, because if you think about it, the person that Kurt Capel was marking up 
in Origin 1 was Tommy Trevojevic, and uh, we all know what happened to that equation, right? So um, <laughs> yeah. so I think they do, do have that. Um, you're right about Ben Hunt. I think Ben Hunt is... Uh, look, another liability they had um, is DCE. I think uh, you know Run D is D and DCE kind of a, you know he kind of was a bit of a defensive liability. Uh, they sort of singled him out a little bit. Um, so I think having Ben Hunt come in as a fourteen, playing a lot of halfback because you know he's got that experience in 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 um, you know in the Maroons jersey. He's he's been part of winning series. He, he kind of knows what needs to happen. I feel like he'll do well. Um, I don't know about Andrew McCulloch at hooker as well. Like, obviously, they had to pick him because they, they didn't really have anybody else. But um, I think they lose a little bit with him and not having Harry Grant in there. So, yeah. So, look, but I think overall they're going to be stronger. And I think I think New South Wales uh, does need to be careful. It's gonna it's not going to be 50-6. to six. I think it's going to be a lot closer. And in these close moments, um, it's going to be the, down to the team that can handle, handle the situation a lot better and but maybe that's why Queensland's gone for more experience rather than rather than sort of, you know, uh, you know, excitement. Absolutely. And so you did say we were gonna talk about continue talking about the game, uh, beyond oh, yeah. so the I Queensland kind of... team. Let's talk about it now. So now that we've just spoken about both of the teams, are we seeing much and we can talk about the tips later, but I guess I just wanna get a sense of are we seeing much of a difference in outcome in this game compared to the last one? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think you're going to see it being a lot tighter. And this is where it's going to be tricky for me trying to work it out because, um, as I said, the, the Queensland forwards, I think, are going to play a lot better. They're going to be a lot more into the game. They're probably going to match it with New South Wales. Um, and then, obviously, if New South Wales can get the go forward, they'll score tries. Can Queensland score tries? They probably can. Um. Uh. Yeah, with probably a bit of hunting in there, but I think they'll find it harder to score points than what New South Wales would. Um. So then it comes down to possession, right? So, so, <laughs> and who can predict that? The uh, the only person they could predict that is Jared Sutton, right? Or or whoever the uh, uh ref's going to be. So, in saying all that, I think if it comes close, I think it's going to be one of those. I mean, yeah, uh, like that. That's probably what I'd say. Um. I just don't see it being a blowout just because of, of just how the teams dynamically work at the moment. So um, what I could, what would be interesting if New South, if Queensland have that tactic, uh, you kind of see an origin where the cattle dog play. Uh, I know it's not really legal these days, but you know, that all in brawl if something like that happened early. I don't know how the New South Wales team would fare in that because uh you know, we remember that incident that happened with Canberra and Penrith, um, you know, in that corner there uh, earlier in the season. And, you know, I've seen Luttrell try to kick a player in the head and then Kung Fu chop another player um, during a game this season as well. So uh, so, so that's that's where I think uh, if Queensland do something like that, then they'll probably win the game. Because I, I, I think that, that a tactic like that is probably going to be it has to be explored, right? Like I just think it will. So mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed that Daily Cherry Evans is not, you know, going on television telling people that they're not going to dive this time. You know, there's the gentleman agreement. I think is out the window now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, look, some good points there. I think I'd have to. Agree. Well, I slightly disagree. I think 
I don't see enough from Queensland in terms of, um, and I think the rules this year are slightly, you know, give me more of a, a confidence that, that we're going to see a similar kind of outcome with New South Wales dominating uh, possession, dominating the middle and uh, and then just flinging it out wide and just finding, uh, doing something with the ball. I think with the, like I said, I'm just so, the more I look at this back line, I don't think I've, I remember seeing a back line with as much firepower in New South Wales and form going into a state of origin game in a very, very long time. Um, I mean, literally, I'm just thinking even going back to the days of Brad Fittler. Um, is, mm. uh, even back then, you had some players that were not necessarily, you know, I wouldn't say weaknesses, but weren't necessarily um, as strong as the others in the back line. But in this one, I can't really see a weakness. I mean, yes, you can have defensive lapses and, you know, the the, the New South Wales centres have not really been tested in this occasion, given that, um, you know, you're talking about Tommy Turbo being out of position, which I don't think he is. I mean, I think he's the kind of player that he, he doesn't really, he's not going to be that much of a liability as much as other players might be playing out of position. So, look, I look forward to this one. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a historic one if New South Wales can win it and win it handsomely as well, um, which I think, yeah, like I said, I, I believe game one represented a turning point I think in uh, in just we just got they they just all clicked and and I think uh, it's very hard to see um, this Queensland team anyway finding enough firepower to to defeat the New South Wales Blues. But um, anyway, let's move on to. Well, gonna, oh, sorry, just, yeah, go ahead. Just going to ask you some. I just looked it up because I, I was thinking about what you just said about the about their backline. So 1994 game two New South Wales, you've got. Brasher at fullback, Andrew Enninghausen and Brett Mullins on the wing, Brad Fittler and Paul McGregor in the centres, and Laurie Daly and Ricky Stewart. What, oh, what that's year, a strong one. That's that is a, super a strong one. one. I, I, what, what year was that, sorry? 94, game two. See, I was thinking even more recent than that. I was thinking even back when we had that, that record-breaking win, um, I think that would have been Fittler's farewell potentially Fittler's farewell um, mm. series or, or that, yeah. yeah, Girdler was, I remember Girdler was there. Um, but even then, I mean, you look at Girdler, like Girdler wasn't necessarily setting the world on fire in terms of, um, you know, his, uh, like his, he wouldn't, you wouldn't have think of him as like, oh, he's an X factor. He's going to, he's a game breaker. Um, but again, you look at all of the every single one of mm. the New South Wales backline, and every single one of them in their own clubs, you would consider they are an X factor. They are the 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 player that can make or break this team. Uh, can find a gap when there's none to be found. Has speed to burn. Has a good football brain. Has a lot of passion, um, and is really an inspiration for their team. Every single one of this back line has played that role uh, in one way or another, and I don't see that within Queensland. And that's not to say that you can't – look, a good team performance can defeat a team of uh, brilliant players, absolutely. Um, but what we saw last game was a team performance as well as a bunch of brilliant players. 
um, when it counted. And this is what New South Wales has not had for quite some time. So um, this isn't just about on paper they look better. They've just proven that they can put it together on on the field. And I think uh, we'll possibly see that again. But to me, the question mark is how much of a factor is Suncorp Stadium? Is it going to be uh, the uh, the the big kind of uh, the phantom the phantom menace, <laughs> or is it is it just going to be uh, something that New South Wales is used to now? Um, they just come to expect that it's extremely noisy and hostile, <laughs> and you just deal with it because you're you're a professional. And I think when in the past, you know, you're talking about that era '94, uh, whatever. That was when really New South Wales started to understand that and overcome the the hoodoo of uh of the of the suncorp stadium or lang park as it was then known and um yeah so i believe this team will do it again basically and we'll we'll be able to overcome that so um yeah yeah well look i I am i am sort of going back and just having a quick look and um uh, and i think you're right now about this lineup because i'm actually looking at this and it's kind of interesting where just because of injuries and just different players playing sort of different positions, and, you know, I don't think Fittler and and I'm just trying to find a game where Fittler and and Johns were actually in the half back and five eighth position. Um, it's actually quite rare to see that. Um, you know, it must be due to injuries. Like you know, I'm, you know, even in 04, it was it was actually um, it wasn't actually uh, Brad. Uh, it wasn't actually Andrew Johns that was there. It was actually. Uh, Craig Gow and Brett Finch. Um, and then you sort of look at some of the outside backs and they were great players, but but they didn't have this, as you said, you know, you could, I mean, there's an argument. Some people could even say that Latrell Mitchell could be the best player in the world at the moment too. So, um, you know, you've got the centres, arguably they're fighting for the best position player in the world. You've got Tedesco, who was the best player in the world, and you got, yeah, it's, it is quite phenomenal. Uh, but, uh, you know, Suncorp, Queensland, State of Origin, Game 2, backs to the wall. Um, you know, Palaget, uh threatening to close the border uh, due to COVID <laughs> outbreak. Like, yeah. every um, every Queensland all around the world is is trying to support, get their team over the line here. <laughs> yeah, all the dirty tricks that they, they're, they're <laughs> going to pull out. They're trying everything. That's um, right, that's right. So, so it's, 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 yeah, so that's, that's the only reason why you got you got to keep uh, yeah you you've got to go for it so yeah but shall we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tackle number five is a quick one. Uh, it's an on this day in history. So here we go. All right, a super quick one uh, on this day. In uh, so June twenty second, in nineteen eleven, so we're going back hundred and ten years. New South Wales hosted New Zealand in the first ever match of rugby league at the Sydney Cricket Ground, the famous SCG. An estimated fifty thousand fans were on hand to see New South Wales score a thirty five to ten win, inspired by their captain Dally Messenger. Um, I said it was a super quick one, Tish. It's not. We're not going to dive into mm. the ins and outs of the game, but look, a really important occasion—the first game of rugby league, 110 years ago at the Sydney Cricket Ground 
on this day 110 years ago. New South Wales versus New Zealand uh, and Daly Messenger being the captain. So, look, a really – look, it puts it into perspective when you look at these on this day in history. Um, makes you think, you know, it was a long time ago. So much has happened since then, but that's where it all started. The first rugby league game at the SCG – um yeah well done to everyone involved i mean scg's obviously have a lot more memories has been integral to the game of rugby league in sydney and it's uh and and it's uh you know it's popularity in sydney so that's so, 110 years ago absolutely well yeah according to that 1911 so this is pre the other pandemic the spanish mm. flu <laughs> you know like this is two pandemics have gone by two world wars since then, mm. lots of other things, uh, you know, two Kardashian marriages, you know, all sorts of things have happened in 110 years. And, uh, um, yeah, so, lo- yeah, like I said, it's a super quick one, but just a good good little reminder of, uh, of looking back in history and, and uh, a very important occasion, a very important match uh, that set it all off. So, yeah, all right, well, let's go into our last run, which is the uh, tips and this time for the representative round. Here we go. All right. So, so far this season, uh, both of us got four out of eight last week, which brings my total to 73 and yours to 66. This time there is no NRL this week, but we do have a few representative games that we are going to quickly give our info and tips on. Um, let's go with the first one, which is the Queensland versus New South Wales in the women's state of origin. Um, Tish, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm tipping New South Wales for this one. Well, this is in the Sunshine Coast. Um, uh, we've had unseasonal cold weather, so I'm going to tip New South <laughs> Wales as well. Just, to, just, just so I feel like our girls are going to be a bit more acclimatised. Yep. Now, England is playing a combined Nations All-Star. So I guess this is their version of, well, the All-Stars game, basically. Um, I think I found it very difficult to find the All-Stars squad, Um, but we do have uh, England, I think, has been announced. Let me see if I can find uh, the squad. I did have it. Let me just see. Uh, here we go, England squad. So the England squad is uh, John Bateman. Um, and by the way, there's this is all English-based players, I believe. We don't have uh, international travel, obviously, because of COVID. But So John Bateman from the Wigan Warriors, Daryl Clark, Mike Cooper, Ben Curry from Warrington Wolves, uh, Tom Davies from the Dragons, Liam uh, from Catalan's Dragons, that is, Liam Farrell from the Wigan Warriors, Luke Gale and Ash, Ash Handley, from Leeds Rhinos, uh, Morgan Knowles from St. Helens, Reese Lyon from Wakefield Trinity, Johnny Lomax from St. Helens, Paul McShane from the Castleford Tigers, Tommy Mackinson from St. Helens, Mikolaj Oletsky from Leeds Rhinos, Joe Philbin and Stefan Ratchford, both from Warrington Wolves, Sam Tompkins from Catalan's Dragons, Alex Walmsley from St. Helens and Joe Westerman from Wakefield Trinity. I think look for Sam Tompkins, I think, and Bateman to have a big role in this match. Mm. Uh, now, the do we have any of – did you manage to find, Tish, 
it's hard to find on the internet the combined nations teams uh we what we do know though is that it is coached by uh is it coached by tim sheens that's right tim sheens um who's just accepted a job as head of football uh, operations for the west tigers this will be his last game uh as a coach could be ever uh so it's kind of a historic moment i suppose in that way um coaching this team um in the uh you know in the all-stars yeah for the all you know, what's it all combined all stars? So, yeah. um, so yeah, so Tim Sheen's at the coach. I believe there is, uh, there is like John Connor or something like that. That isn't that from a uh, Terminator? Um, there's a player named Connor with a surname, and I think it starts with a J at the front. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe, uh, maybe the other fellow that's going to, uh, to the Tigers next year, um, you know who was at used to be at Eastern Suburbs, but they, I think they're the only <laughs> two players that have been named so far. So yeah, look, um, they're going for the look. Tim Sheens has always been an innovator, and he's gone for the uh, stealth route uh, by not even uh, naming a squad. Uh, <laughs> you know, so so always bringing innovation. So it's going to be great. And um, you know, I actually found out this uh, when Craig Bellamy won over the weekend against the Tigers. That he actually overtook uh, Tim Sheens in the number of wins as an NRL coach, and uh, and now only has Wayne Bennett in front of him, which is I think is two hundred games more than that. But Tim Sheens, uh, even though you haven't seen him in the NRL for a long time, actually is the third most winningest coach of all time. So that that goes that shows you kind kind of uh, the record that he's had. So very interesting how this will do. So it's actually Jake Connor from. Uh, Hull FC. So, look, yep, I'm going to give right. it to England. Obviously, they have a squad um, named, so I think I think the England team could win. I think the combined nations, um, you know, uh, a bit like the UN, a bit like uh, who, you know, the World Health Organization. Just too many accents. Um, so, <laughs> so it's going to be. I, I'm going to give it to the uh, to the uh, United England England team. So. Kind of like Brexit here a little, you know, England versus all the other nations, you know? Yeah. I'm Look, I'm going to give it to England as well. I think only because I, I think they, they've they still – they're still in that upper echelon of uh, rugby league international teams. And I think despite the fact that this is not going to be a test, obviously, it's a bit of a, a, dem- a demonstration exhibition match, um, which I be, believe on the other side – Look, what I have managed to find is that we've got Jackson Hastings is going to be there, I think, as a co-captain. Um, I believe I saw that somewhere. As you said, Connor, uh, Jake Connor is going to be there. Aiden Caesar might be there as well. Um, so that's interesting. But I cannot actually, for the life of me, find a, a legitimate official uh, squad for this team, which is really unbelievable. But there you go. Um but yeah, I think England. Uh, I think they've got they've got what it takes, um, and hopefully they'll they'll use this as a as a genuine hit out. So England for mine. Uh, moving on, we've got Montenegro playing Serbia. Um, again, don't know much about these squads. There's a couple of there's a couple of games here that are kind of of low level uh, teams. Um, you know, tier three nations, I guess you could call them. Um, Hard to tell, but I think what I did see recently is that they did play in a sevens tournament very recently, and Montenegro won that one. So um, 
I do, however, believe that Serbia will win this uh, full uh, rugby league test match. Um, so, yeah, because I think they've had just had a lot of um, uh, good success in the recent times. So I believe Serbia will have uh, take the, that victory. What do you think? Yeah, look, I, I'm tipping Serbia too. Um, uh, I think Serbian rugby league has is is a bit stronger than what Montenegrin <laughs> rugby league is at the moment. Um, so, so, but look, it's good to see two Balkans nations, um, you know, I think fairly close geographically together. So, uh, so that could be, you know, it's good to see them actually playing rugby league. And, uh, this is in a town called, I think it's called Bar B-A-R, which is in, um, you know, it looks, looks very pretty from the pictures I could see of, of the actual stadium. So, um, you know, so, so hopefully this, uh, yeah, hopefully there's some coverage over uh, over in the Balkans for this game, and and perhaps uh, perhaps this could be, you know, in the future this clash could be almost as uh, you know, almost as sort of passionate as Samoa versus Tonga or, or a clash like that. Absolutely. Uh, so the next game is Malta versus Lebanon. Now, let me just see if I can find some details about this game. So the game will be played. So Malta are the Knights. That's what they're called. The Lebanese team is called the Cedars. And they're going to play this in, well, it's going to be a Sydney one, Belmore Sports Ground uh, on uh, the Saturday, the 26th of June. Uh, So this Saturday evening at 7.30. So if you are in the Sydney area, get out there to watch Malta v Lebanon. And... um, Look, just having a look at uh, the Malta Knights squad that was announced recently, um, some key names that I see there that are familiar. There is uh, there's a Ryan Azapardi. There is a uh, who else? There's quite a. Is there a Tyler Castle? So I'm just looking at some of the of the NRL representatives. We've got Jed Hardy from Cronulla Sharks. Uh, we have who else? I'm um, just having a look. Well, we've got Zarin Galia from Redcliffe Dolphins, so Queensland mm-hmm. represented there as well, which is pretty good. Um, and yeah, that's it. So look, oh, and we got Talis Duncan from South Sydney Rabbitohs. So look, we do have some players I think who have peripherally some NRL experience, but most of them I think would have uh, you know semi-professional experience. So um, they're going okay. I do not have, unfortunately. An equivalent um, uh, of of the Lebanese team, but I do know that you know generally the Lebanese squad do have um, quite a bit of NRL experience, um, and you know we've got names like uh, you know Matt King, formerly of um, of uh, Manly. Uh, fame. You remember Matt King with the Afro? Yeah. He has actually joined the Cedars staff. So yeah. you know when you when you hear about um, uh, that kind of thing, uh, and let's not forget, I believe this is still the case, but um, uh, Michael Checker. Yeah, that's right. Is the head coach. So Michael Checker, those of you who don't know, was formerly the Australian Wallabies rugby union team coach. Um, and he has been announced as a Lebanese uh, rugby league coach for the Cedars for the upcoming World Cup this year. So, look, with that kind of backing behind you, I, I think it'd be hard-pressed 
to go to bet against Lebanon for this one. So I'm tipping Lebanon. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm tipping Lebanon too. You've got to remember, like, there are some Lebanese background players that are in the NRL, like Alex Twal comes to mind. Um, and actually, uh, is, uh, he actually didn't play over the weekend, but there's another. You know, the West Tigers 5'8", who's now center. Ale- yeah, Dewey. Um, Dewey, yeah, yeah they, right. they, They've both represented. Um, you know, look, Mitchell Moses isn't playing uh, Origin this weekend. Um, you know, no game for Parramatta. He could show up. So those three together, like, just, just on the name, and um, you know, we might even see um, you know former uh, Parramatta captain come out of retirement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just can't remember his name. It's not fully fully more but the oh, other Timmy, one, Timmy, Timmy yeah. Manor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> yeah, so surely not. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, um, look, I, I think Lebanon uh, again. It's uh, Lebanon versus Malta. It's like, you know, they, these are the rugby league teams that are sort of based on Australian-based players and using the heritage rule. And uh, I think in this case, I think it's again you're seeing Lebanon are, are kind of a lot more developed than what Malta is at the moment. Um, but what I do like about uh, you know both these sort of nations is that they're not just trying to build a game you know, for the Maltese and Lebanon, Lebanese communities in Australia. But they're also trying to build this over in, um, you know, Lebanon and, and in Malta. So so hopefully hopefully they'll be uh, a successful what they're trying to do. So, look, I'm tipping Lebanon on this one. Um, you know, I think I think there might be a, a bit of a blow-up uh, when the two teams get to the ground at Belmore because I think both teams will will, uh, will consider it a home game for them. So, um so that might be a bit tricky, um, but but I think but I yeah I think Lebanon will have the advantage. I'll tell you what I'm hoping that there's some interesting uh, food trucks available outside <laughs> Belmore Sports Ground because uh, that would be an awesome you know this is what we need to celebrate a bit more of is you know we we've got such a good multicultural presence here in Australia and in Sydney in particular that backs mm. rugby league. You know, we don't seem to take advantage of it. So, you know, maybe we should do more of these sort of, uh, you know, games to give some of the lower uh, tier nations a chance to kind of uh, put on a bit of a show and bring a bit of cultural kind of uh, learnings to to the rest of us. Um, but, yeah, look, Lebanon, I think, for mine as well. Let's move on to the main one that we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about today. <laughs> That's right. New South Wales and Queensland, I think no surprise here. I'm tipping New South Wales. I'm tipping them to do it easily. Oh, so wow. if you are, if I was a betting man, Tish, I would say get on to the 13 plus. Yeah, look, I uh, I think New South Wales will win, but I think it's going to be below 13. This, <laughs> this is a very dangerous territory because traditionally New South Wales don't, lead, don't win by a close margin. In <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's that's either right. a blowout or Queensland win narrowly. Yeah, so. that's what I'm counting on. <laughs> yeah, so so look, but, but I think New South Wales will, will somehow pull off a, a miracle at Suncorp. And, uh, you know, it might be, uh, I think this they'll be the first team since 1980. Well, actually, no, 1982, they did not, uh, they did not actually uh, win two in a row in Queensland. But I think this is the first New South Wales team to do it. Wow. Well, let's see if we can do it. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. And yeah, like I think what we'll do next time is we will uh, uh, we'll do a bit of a live, or well, not live, but we'll we'll do a bit of a raw reaction 
to to the game um, and then some quick tips for the following round of NRL next week. So stay tuned for that. Um, and until next time, thanks everyone for joining us and for listening to us. Hope you enjoyed the show and teach over to you to wrap this up. Well, that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.